listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We exist to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. Well, good morning, church. Hey, you did it. Give yourselves a hand. You lost an hour and you still made it to church. Miracles do happen. Amen. That's okay, man. It's weird, man. It's funny how an hour, and you always plan. Are you all like me? I walk in the house, and my wife like, it's 7 o'clock. I'm like, no, it's not. It's 8 o'clock. Is it 9.30? No, it's 10.30. Like, it gets annoying after a while, right? Uh, My name is Matt, and I am uh, one of the pastors here at Vintage, and I am humbled that you did take time out of your lives to come and worship with us today. And my prayer is that over the next 35 minutes or so, that God uses his word to change your life. So go ahead and grab it and go to Acts chapter 20, verse 35. Acts chapter 20, verse 35 will be the verse that we are launching from today. Y'all pray for me as I preach this word. You with me? Say amen. Amen. Acts chapter 20, verse 35. Paul says this. It is more blessed to give than to receive. See, y'all said amen. I'm glad. Because that means that somebody kind of gets it. But this is one of those verses, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And this verse to me fits right along with the series that we're kind of in, which is called Paradox. And if you don't know what a paradox is, because maybe you're thinking maybe like it's uh, a paradox is Oz and Dre. I was waiting to see Dr. Dre, Dr. Oz. See, I hit both audiences with that reference, and nobody got it because it was just too far off. Some of you are like, I know who Dre is, but who's Oz? And then some of the old white people in the room are like, who, I know who Oz is, but who's Dre? <laughs> Sorry. Paradox. <laughs> ah, paradox. A seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or position that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded or true. The all throughout Scripture we see these paradoxes. We looked at, at one last week, and we'll look at several over the next several weeks. And to me, it is more blessed to give than to receive is a paradox, even though we all said amen, or many of us said amen. Because most of us think, oh, that's so true. It is so much better to give than to receive. And like, it's funny how conveniently we feel that at times. But I don't think that's the natural position most of us walk around this planet with. Come on. Liars, come on. Y'all say Amen. Like most of us, like we think it is so much better than to receive than give. Like we, most of us, if we're truly honest, can we be honest? I know this is church, but let's be honest, okay? Most of us think it is far better to receive than give. And most of us live as if it is much better to receive than give most of the time. Amen? Paul said it is more blessed to give than to receive. He's saying that giving is greater than receiving. And so we need to figure out, all right, what, what is Paul really trying to say, that giving is greater than receiving? And, you know, to, and to, to understand what he's trying to say, once again, we got to get back into the context of the Scripture. Move up a few verses, Acts chapter 20, move up to verse 33. And let me kind of set the stage. Y'all know, who, this is written by a guy named Paul. And maybe you didn't grow up in church, and I'm not going to assume that you did, so I'm going to tell you who Paul is. Paul was this guy who was one of the most educated people in all of Scripture. He grew up under a professor named Gamaliel, 
who was a knowledgeable philosopher, would have known about all kinds of religions and education, and, that, and he grew up under his teaching. And when Jesus left this planet, the church began to be born. Paul made it his life's mission to stop the movement that Jesus started. His entire life's mission was to stop Christianity from spreading throughout the world. He believed that it was a cult, and he was going to stop it until he met Jesus. It's funny how different your life can be once you meet Jesus. Come on. Y'all going to help me preach. I know you lost an hour of sleep, but I need you. Come on. And one day, he is headed down a road to a city named Damascus, and God shows up in his life and changes him forever. And he goes from one of the greatest forces trying to stop Christianity to one of the greatest forces promoting Christianity and planting churches and taking it to places it would have never been if God had not moved on his heart. And as he writes the words that we're about to read, he's been in a city called Ephesus. And now Ephesus was a happening city. It was a culturally diverse and very wealthy place. It would have been almost like, like a modern-day New York or L.A. It would have been a hub for all people from all different places and countries and backgrounds. It was high into fashion and all kinds of different modern technologies of its day. And it was a very, very wealthy city. And Paul had the mission of taking the gospel to this place. And I think what you see his words say in this portion of this chapter is a reflection of that culture that he's in. He's just spent all this time in this very wealthy place teaching the gospel. And he's about to leave Ephesus. And this is kind of his parting words to the people in that place. Acts chapter 20, verse 33. says, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. In other words, like I've noticed that y'all got money. I've seen all the silver, I've seen all the gold, I've seen all the clothing, I've seen that y'all like nice things. But if you've noticed while I've been here, you have not seen a shred of jealousy from me for that stuff. It says, you yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and that these need and the needs of my companions. Verse 35, he says, in everything I did, in everything I did, can I Everything that I did, like every single thing that I said, every, every conversation I had, every way that I acted the entire time I, I did there, it mattered. Can I say something to you, believer, that maybe you need to know? If you call yourself a Christian, a Christ follower, a disciple, whatever term, like everything you do matters. Come on. In the culture that we live in, where people are watching people who claim to know Jesus and how they live under a microscope more than ever. So, everything that we do matters. Christian, you don't get to take a moment off, you don't get to take a break from being a believer. So like every conversation that you have, whether it's in church or whether it's in the parking lot or whether it's at your job, everything you do matters. And I'm just wondering if we're forgetting this with the way we act sometimes. Your posts on social media, they matter. They can reveal your stupidity in a heartbeat. Come on, somebody. Everything you do matters. I'm concerned because it's almost like we feel like we're getting back to this place where, like, you only got to be a Christian in certain places. If you're going to follow Jesus, you don't get to take a moment off. Matt, that's a lot of pressure. I hope so. Because if you claim to know Jesus, you're representing him everywhere you go. That means everything that you do that is rude or unkind, 
represents Jesus in that light. This, this is bonus material. This ain't even part of the message. Are you with me, church? I don't know why, but I felt convicted in my heart to say that all morning. Because I watch people, it's like, I'm like, and I, and I even see people, I, I see it happen, and I read social media posts, I'm like, you know people can see this, right? <laughs> like, it's there for the whole world to see. It matters. It matters. Somebody say amen. Come on, you with me? Amen. amen. It matters. Paul's saying that. He said, everything I did while I was with you, like everything I did was to point in a certain direction. He said, I showed you by, by, by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. He said, everything I did was pointing to this spe a specific truth about who we're supposed to be as Jesus followers. And he says, the reason why I've been doing this is not because Paul's natural lean was to, to, to find giving better than receiving. He's saying, I'm not doing it. He didn't say it feels better to give than to receive. And I think that's what most of us are, are amening sometimes when we say that. It feels better to give than to receive, right? It feels better. But here's the thing. What you going to do when it don't feel better? Because there's times when what we do for Jesus, it feels really good. And I feel all warm and fuzzy. And I feel like it's just great. And then there's sometimes when Jesus calls me to do certain things. And you know what? It don't feel so good. And guess what? I have to do it anyway. So we're going to get into a conversation today. Can I go ahead and say, like, at times it might be a little bit tense and uncomfortable. And I'm okay with that. Because here's the thing I promise you. I love you too much to just talk about the fun stuff. I wish I could just talk every Sunday and come in here and make you feel good about yourself and all warm and fuzzy. And, and you know what? I love it when we walk out of church. That was good. But maybe sometimes we need to walk out, out of church and say, man, that hurt. Yeah. Are y'all with me? Because yeah. you know what? When we planted this church, I promised, I made a God, God a promise. I would preach the full compass of his word. I would preach it with passion. And I would preach it from what I practiced. And when Paul says it is better to give than to receive, that is not a natural position for most of us. It's something that we have to work. And you know what Paul's saying, like, I've learned this. And, you know, Paul's reason for living that kind of life was not because it felt good to him, but because Jesus commanded it. And that's how we live our lives. We live our lives based on the word of, words of God. We live our lives based on what Jesus has called. If you're going to live a life that represents Jesus, you're going to have to live in a way that says giving is better than receiving. And when you live in a life, because you know what? We, we're not that culture. We're a culture of takers. We're a culture of consumers. But here's the problem. When you give more than you take, eventually there will be nothing left to take. And what is beautiful about the New Testament church, what is beautiful about the book of Acts was their generosity. That's what made me fall in love with the church. I grew up in the church. I'm a lifer. Anybody else a lifer? Like basically you were born in the pew? Like your mom just spit you out right there and said amen and let's sing to him. <laughs> Some of us are like that. Been in church my whole life. But there came a time where like, you know what, my dad was pastoring and Sunday I hated to go to church. Because for one thing, some church in a church you can find the meanest people on the planet. We've seen them. We've been them at times. 
if we're honest. But what I saw, what, what spawned this thing of vintage, is the reason why we call it vintage, vintage being representative of the best of a past time. Is I read verses, I saw something in the body of Christ. I saw the beauty of the church in Acts that I had never experienced firsthand. I saw something so beautiful and so generous and so compassionate and so kind and so powerful. I always pray, God, I, that's what I want to be a part of. I don't want to be a part of, of, of a church anymore. I want to be a part of the church like you and Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 44 and 45. This is just post-Pentecost. Where this hugely diverse group of people of all backgrounds and languages and different things have come together. And now the church is being born and Jesus is moving and things are happening. And it says this about the church in Acts chapter 2, verse 44 and 45. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And actually, if you keep on reading, it says, so much so that there were no needy persons among them. Can you imagine a church in a community being so absurdly generous that there were no people in that community in need? You can't. And there's some people like thinking, that ain't possible, preacher. Like, it almost seems like an impossibility. It seems like, like a, some utopian kind of thing. Can you imagine? Like, God planting a movement of his people in a community who were so absurdly generous. They give in such a way that they eradicate all the need from within their community. Man, I'd love it if we were that church. I wish y'all did. You with me? Well, can you imagine? Well, like, there ain't anybody else anymore struggling to put food on the table. Nobody's struggling to keep heat on in the winter. Nobody's struggling to have water to drink. Can you imagine? And see, I believe in America we've lost sight of this even being a possibility. You know why? Because you're either one of two places in your life. You're either generous or you're greedy. You're either generous or you're greedy. I, don't, I, I think you're, you're one or the other. I don't think there's a little bit greedy. They ain't a little bit pregnant. You're either pregnant or you ain't. It's the same thing. You're either generous or you're greedy. And see, here, here's what I know. I'm 10 minutes in about generosity, and there's some of y'all in the room already like, I didn't think this was that kind of church. It only took him five weeks, and he's talking about money. Yeah, here's the thing. Maybe if you're uncomfortable with a preacher talking about money, maybe money's more of an issue in your life than you realize. Because it's funny, man. Preacher starts talking about money, you already feel my hand in your pocket. Like, uh-uh, get your hand out of my pocket, preacher. But you love Jesus, right? Oh, we love Jesus, baby Jesus. We love you, Jesus. God. You ever read the Bible? And notice, if you do, and you really pay attention, 40% of what Jesus taught about was money, wealth, and possessions. 40%. I'm not preaching about it enough. If I did, the bills would be paid. See, it's funny how all of a sudden, man, like we get uncomfortable when a preacher starts. And you know why? I think it's evidence of the culture that we live in that has become a slave to money. It shows how much we've elevated 
that one thing above so much. It's funny, like, I could hold you accountable about your sex life and your kids, but don't let me talk about your money. I'm preaching today, boy. Goodness <laughs> gracious. <laughs> So can we just get it out there? Because see, here's the reality. God's people, of all people on the planet, are called to be people of generosity. This church exists to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. Can we all agree that generous, generous is who Jesus was, who Jesus is? He was so generous that he forfeited the luxuries of heaven and stepped into this planet and put on flesh and went through all the pains and struggles of this world and then... Not because you deserved it, but because he loved you so much, died the worst possible death on the planet so that your sins could be dealt with and you could be made right with God. If that's not generosity, I don't know what is. And if we're going to be his people, if we're going to live and love like Jesus, then generosity will be, must be a hallmark of who we are. It's who we are. It's who we are. And if, like, you don't get that, then nothing else I'm going to say is going to matter. And you see it all throughout Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And that through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Do you see that? You'll be enriched in every way. Why? Why will you have all this stuff that he will give you? so that you can hoard it and keep it to yourself, so that you can enjoy it and die fat and happy? No. So that you can be generous on every occasion and so that because of your generosity, people will look at God and give him praise and thanks. And you know what? If we're, I think that the greater our generosity, the larger our legacy. Like if we're really going to make a difference in this community, if we're really going to make a difference in the world, it will be because we have chosen to live a life of generosity in all faith. You see that? Enriched in every way. See, the problem is generosity ain't just about money. Come on. Like God wants you to be a holistic, generous person. And some of us, like, you got enough money that you can be generous with your money, but you're really greedy with your time. Our son of us, we're generous with our time, but we're greedy with our grace. Like God didn't want, like you can't isolate generosity to one area of life. It's not, generosity isn't, generous isn't what you do, it's who you are. It's who God molds you into be as he moves you into the likeness of his son. Like, gener so, like, if you think that somehow this whole generosity thing is isolated to money or somehow you get a pass, you don't. If you say, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, you've saved me. Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus, I want to be like you. Then you will be generous. So let's talk about what generosity looks like because God's been teaching me a lot on this subject lately. First thing is this. Generosity invests with intention. What does generosity look like? Generosity invests with intention. Here's the thing about generosity. See, sometimes we think that greed, greed like hoards. No, greed spends. 
And the biggest difference, see, greed spends. Greed just spends selfishly. Greed spends selfishly. Generosity invests purposefully. That's the biggest difference. See, some people think, oh, greed means I hoard everything. No, you'll spend it on you. And stuff that will make you more comfortable and make your life better and make your life easier and make your life more convenient. But generosity says, I will invest with intention. Luke chapter 6, verse 38, the words of Jesus, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. It's calling to invest. But can I, get, can I be honest with you? This passage of scripture, guess what? That's not even referring to money. It's referring to grace and forgiveness. Because Jesus in that context is talking about our need to give grace and need to give forgiveness to other people. But it's a reminder of the spirit of generosity that he wants us to live. But then you have to wrestle with verses like this. Colossians, I mean, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Start with verse 6. It says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. That what you get is in proportion to what you have given. That is a biblical principle all throughout Scripture. That what you get is in proportion to what you've given. And you see that so sparingly, invest generously. Then it says this, verse 7, each of you should give what you have decided to give. In other words, your investment needs to be a decision that you make in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Can I just say this? Generosity is never a product of pressure. Did you hear that? Like your generosity should never come because you feel guilty. When you give financially to a church, it should never be because some preacher has made you guilty, feel guilty and pressured you into it. So if you hear today and you think, okay, man, where's the giving cock kiosk after church? Like that is, if you think that that's what this message is about, then you don't know me and you don't know this church. Because it's not biblical for me to ever make you feel guilty or pressure you into doing anything. God does not want you to be generous out of guilt. Because you know what? Generosity, giving out of guilt is never generous. That's exactly what Paul's trying to say. Do you see it? When you make this decision to be generous, when you make this decision to sow generously, you should do it because you've made a decision. Like you prayerfully, thoughtfully, biblically made a decision in how you're going to give and what you're going to give and where you're going to give and what you're going to give to. In your heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion because you're being pressured or pushed because God loves a cheerful giver. So in everything and in every way that you give, in every way that you're generous, never let it be because somebody's pressuring you or feeling guilty for it. Because you know why? You'll never be generous if that's your motivation. I tell you what, we, our church has some of the most generous people I've ever seen in my life. 
Like right now, on the other side of that wall are some of the most generous volunteers you will ever be around in your entire life. There are vintage kids workers back there. Right now, on the other side of that wall, generously, people are sowing in to the lives of your children and my children, laying a foundation of faith so that someday they sit in this room and they take this church to levels we never will. And you know why they're so good at it? Because they're not back there because they've been guilted into it. They're back there because they know that what they're sowing into matters. They're back there because they know that God has called them to it. You know why? We don't, guilty volunteers suck. They're terrible. They don't show up on time. They don't give, but about half of what they could give. But volunteers who are motivated because they know they're acting in obedience to God and they know what they're doing is matters, and they've thoughtfully and prayerfully made the decision to serve in that way, they make a difference. They make a difference. Because that's what generosity looks like. I got a little fired up. I'm sorry. I got to catch my breath. That's what it means. See, that's what Paul's saying. Like, generosity is not a byproduct of pressure. It's because we know that what we're giving, generosity invests with intention. It just doesn't haphazardly throw time and money and energy at things that don't matter. That's not generosity. See, a lot of us have done that. You know why? Not because we wanted to be generous, because we wanted to feel good about ourselves. Because we've read that verse that Paul said wrong, that it feels better to give instead of receive. And that's not what he's saying. He's saying it's better. It's a better way to live. It's a better way of life. You know how I know that? Because Jesus taught it to us. And then he says, look, when you, when you give generously like this, when you, when you live generously like this, verse 8, look at this beautiful promise. Verse 8 says, and God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. God makes us the promise. You know, what you hold will be all you ever have. Only what you release can God multiply. That's better than y'all responded. What you hold will be all you ever have. Only what you release can God multiply. And he makes a promise to do that. Generosity invests with intention. And so it's not just about throwing time and energy and money at just anything for any reason out of pressure or guilt. It's about investing in the things that matter. Generously investing in the things that matter. And let's just go ahead and get it out of the way. I believe in tithing. I believe that everything I have is God's. And the first 10% of what he gives me, I give back to the church for the building of his kingdom. Because I believe that scripture teaches that. I believe Malachi chapter 3, start at verse 9. You are under a curse, you and your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, the first 10%, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. And now some of y'all are thinking, oh, that's Old Testament law, Matt. We're not under that law. I'm under grace. You know grace always demands more. Come on. 
And then you also have to wrestle with the words of, oh, wait, Jesus. Matthew 23, verse 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Did Jesus just tell us the tithe? I think he did. He said you should be doing both. And now, you know, if, if you're just visiting this church, this is not your church home, I hope you know, like nobody's, nobody's putting that expectation on you and nobody's pressuring you to do anything. But here's what I know from, my, from me and my life and my family. I believe that everything I have is God's. I believe that the church is God's ordained vehicle to take the message of the gospel to the world. I believe that the church has made such an impact on my life and I'm so grateful for what it has done for me. Why would I not want to invest in it in every way I can? It's just me. It's just me. Generosity invests. Generosity invests intentionally. Second thing I want you to know about generosity is generosity is measured by sacrifice, not amount. Generosity is measured by sacrifice, not amount. See, generosity is not a dollar amount. And see, that's what we do. We begin to think of generosity in comparing to what other people give and what we give. And, man, we live in a culture now where with social media, we can, we can compare everything that we are with everything everybody else is doing. We just got to click one button. I think it's killing us. But some people think, oh, you know what? Somebody gives $100,000. There's some people in the room, like, you could, you could write a check for $100,000. Make it out to Vintage Church, V I. But there's some people, you'll never be able to write that check. But you could write a $10 check. And you know what? That $10 check from you is probably more generous than that $100,000 check from that other person. You know why? Because it ain't measured in amount. It's measured in sacrifice. Because for some people in this room, just to write a $10 check is more sacrifice than others writing a $100,000 check. And that $10 check is much more generous than that $100,000 check. Because that's the way Jesus, that's the way God's economy measures generosity. It's not about amount. It's about sacrifice. Can I show you? I'm having more fun than I thought I would today. Look at Mark chapter 12, verse 41. It says, Jesus sat down, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were being put, and he watched. I wish I could just sit Jesus and Jesus, when the offering plates are passed, you watch Seems weird. Some of us think, like, really? Jesus sat down and watched every dollar that the people in the church were putting in. I'm just saying. It says he watched and put the place, and then watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Do you see that? Generosity is measured by sacrifice, not amount. And can I just say... 
if it's not a sacrifice, it's probably not generous. If it's easy to do, it's probably not generous. In any area, if if it's easy to, to, to give up that time, if it's easy to give up that money, if it's easy to make that decision, it's probably, it's probably not generous. Generosity is measured by sacrifice, not amount. Jesus said, look, there was all these people, and they were giving, they were giving in big amounts. But she gave a big sacrifice, and that's what impressed Jesus, that the sacrifice that she was willing to make. You know what? There's some people in this church, man, there are some people that because of their schedules, we have volunteers that are serving this church, and I feel like sometimes they're here more than I am. We just have generous people. Because they work certain shifts and they can be here and they can serve in so many different ways and can do all these different things. You know what? There's some people like, like you just to serve for an hour would be a sacrifice. And can I just say, if you, if you don't think that matters, you don't understand God's economy. Because exactly what Jesus is trying to say, that hour that you will give up for me because it's a bigger sacrifice than most people are willing to do. It doesn't compare to the, maybe there's 50 hours that somebody serves this church in a week, but because of their life, because of their schedule, because of the things they have going on, that's nothing compared to the one hour that you have to sacrifice. The one Sunday that you happen to be serving, it's a sacrifice. To sit in front of those kids, they don't even like their own kids sometimes, much less yours. (laughs) Sacrifice. It's not about the amount. And see, that's the problem with our culture, that we believe it's about the size of the gift and not the sacrifice that the gift required. Y'all, with, y'all still with me? Amen. Y'all ain't too offended yet? Well, two more things. Generosity is a symptom of a surrendered heart. Generosity is a symptom of a surrendered heart. Can I just read you the words of Jesus one more time? Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, or where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, yeah, generosity comes in many forms, but I think Jesus knew something. I think Jesus knew that money would be the number one indicator of how generous we were or weren't. You with me? And money would be the number one competitor for throne of our heart. You see what Jesus just said? Like, you want to know if your heart is fully surrendered to God, are you generous? Not, did you come to church? Not, did you have 17 King James Bibles on your coffee table? Not, was K-Love preset number one on your radio? Like, Jesus says, where, where your treasure is, there, see, all of us have a throne room inside of our heart. And whatever resides on that throne is what runs our lives. And Jesus is saying that it is really tempting in the culture that he lived in and 2,000 and some odd years later, the culture that we live in, for money to compete with that, that, that rightful place that God has on our heart. And Jesus is saying, hey, look at your heart because you can't serve two masters. I will not share the throne with the almighty dollar. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, a lot, of, a lot of times I've taught that generosity is an issue of stewardship. I was wrong. Generosity is not an issue of stewardship. It's an issue of lordship. 
It's an issue of lordship. It's a matter who is Lord of your life. One last thing. Generosity is evidence of the source of my hope. Generosity is evidence of the source of my hope. See, I think the most difficult thing about us being generous is we're scared there won't be enough. Come on, somebody amen me. Like, we, 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 we look at money for our security. And if there's not enough there when we go to look and when we pull up the bank app and I got $4 and I don't get paid till Friday, it's ramen noodles and Kool-Aid for four days. I don't know what I'm going to do. And we begin to get anxious and fearful and so what we think is, because you know why? Because money is so much, of, like if I told you today, you know what? When you leave here, you got $10,000 more in your bank account. You might have walked in anxious. You, you, you skipping your way out of this building. You know why? Because that's where so much of our hope and our security lies. But I want to remind you what else Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in the present world. Stop. Some of y'all can disqualify yourselves right there. Command those who are rich. You think, oh, that ain't for me. That may be for the person sitting next to me or the person that drove up in that car and this morning I saw and that, that some nice rims on that bad boy. You do realize you're rich. The poorest person in this room is still quite rich. Like you don't know poverty. Go to Haiti with me one time. I will show you poverty on people that, less, that live on less than $2 a day. Did you know that if your combined household income, combined household income, is greater than $45,000 a year, then you earn more money than 99% of the wage earners in the world. If, I'll say that again. If you make combined, your whole household makes combined more than $45,000 a year, you make more money, you earn more money than 99% of the world. And we're not rich. You're not rich. This morning, you stood before a closet of clothes and had to debate for 15 minutes of all the many clothes you have. What were you going to wear? And some of us, we're so rich, we walked into a closet so big with our clothes, we had to walk into it. And then you backed your car out of a house just for your car. A garage. Some people thinking, I ain't got a house for my head. You got one for your car? Like, you are so rich. And you would think because America is the, the richest, one of the richest countries in the world that our generosity, because we get behind this thing that generosity is about abundance when it's really about obedience, not abundance. But you know what's crazy? The average American, the average American gives away 2.8% of their income. If you change that statistic a little bit, and if you say the Americans who make $150,000 or more, and some of you thinking, boy, if I could, I'd be on MTV Cribs if I had $150,000 a year. <laughs> Average American gives away 2.8%. If you make $150,000 a year, that number changes to 2.6%. You heard me right. It went down. Because I think the more, more we have, the more we tend to put our hope and our trust into that stuff. 
So number one, you're rich, but you got to be careful. Command those who are rich in this present world because those are going to be the ones that are tempted to do this the most. Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Do you see that? Like God wants you to have it. He wants you to enjoy it, but he don't want you to put your hope in it. It's great that you have it. It's great that you want it, but don't put your hope in it. Your security is not in your stuff. Your security is in him. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And that life that is truly life can't be bought. It can't have enough zeros. It can't have enough stuff to ever give you the true life that you're looking for. It's found only in God. And if you're not careful, you're going to get distracted by the money and not find it where it can only be found. So where is, where is your hope? I heard somebody ask, did, did this kind of little survey, and I, I thought it was pretty good, a good test to know where your hope is. Of these two questions that are going to be on the screen, which causes you the most anxiety? There is no God or there is no money? If you say, somebody said to you, like, you've been wrong this whole time, there is no God. Which would cause you more panic? That or somebody said, you know what? You're broke. No more money. Pull up in your app. You, you got zero. Which would cause you more anxiety? It's a pretty good test, ain't it? Like, you could see, some, if somebody said there is no more money, I think it would create more anxiety in most people than if we said there is no God. That's because our hope has become put and our security has become put in money in such a way that we find most of the anxiety and worry and stress in your life is centered around one subject, finances. And it's the case for a lot of reasons. But you're going to be, see, generosity is the evidence of the source of your hope. And the reason why we're so afraid to be generous is because we're afraid there may not be enough money. So we're not willing to trust the one who can provide it with it. Don't put your hope, don't put your trust in riches. Put your trust in the one who richly provides all things. And live as the generous follower of Jesus that you and I are called to be. And let's change the world. I believe there can be a day when God's people get this in a way that we eradicate poverty from this planet. Let's start with Randleman. Bow your heads, close your eyes with me. Can I just get you to wrestle with that question? Am I, Lord, am I generous or am I greedy? God, am I generous or am I greedy? Am I generous with all that you've given me, with all the time and energy and talents and treasures, with every, like, am I holistically generous in the way that you've called me to be generous? Can you wrestle with that question for a little while? And if the answer is no, no, I'm not, I guarantee you it's because you haven't allowed yourself to fully trust God the way you need. It's funny, man. Like I, We can trust God with our job. We can trust God with our kids. But can we trust God with our money? Can we trust God with our time? Like what seems like the things that we have the least amount of are the things 
that we struggle most to trust God in. God cannot multiply what you hold on to. You have to release it to him. So maybe you need to make some decisions. I'm going to invite you to stand with me, if you would, very quietly and reverently. And we're going to finish our time together worshiping through this song. The most important time of every Sunday is right here, where God's word has been brought forth. And see, if the devil can get you to get out of this room before you wrestle with this stuff, he'll get you distracted and you'll never wrestle with it. You'll never do what God wants you to do with it. You'll never allow it to sink deep into your heart and allow it to change you in whatever ways it's supposed to change you. So would you bow your heads, close your eyes, prepare to worship, prepare to hear from the Lord in whatever way he's calling you. God, use this time as we worship you to solidify whatever changes and decisions that we need to make in this place today, God. May we have the courage to get honest with ourselves and honest with you. And God, may you point out the things in our lives that may not be easy or comfortable to see, but God, may you challenge us to be the generous people. God, thank you for your generosity. Jesus is the ultimate example of how generous that you are to us. And God, we just want to return that generosity with generosity of our own in all areas of our lives. Because God, there's a people out there that are broken and hurting and they need the hope that you have and that you've put in us. Freely we've received it, God. Help us to freely and generously give it. And God, help us to settle the issue of lordship completely so that we will move on and speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net.